So if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, I'm going to ask that you either click to, turn to, uh, to Acts chapter 4, verse 32. And actually today, we're only looking at five, uh, five verses. Uh, we've been in a series called The First Church. And for, so for over the last 10 weeks, we have been walking through the first four chapters of the book of Acts. We've been taking the first church. Uh, we've been taking the first church's principles and then applying them to, to our culture, to our context. And so, I, so when you look at the book of Acts, just, just a couple of quick things and we'll move on. When you look at the book of Acts, the book of Acts is like the 30 or 40 year history of the, of the first churches. Uh, actually, in the book of Acts, it's, it's a 30 to 40 year history. Only four churches are highlighted. It's like their highlight reel, if you will. And so we've been studying the church in Jerusalem. We'll call it the Jerusalem church. Now, here's the interesting thing about the Jerusalem church. The Jerusalem church started off, and I mean, this church exploded onto the scene. They quickly went from like 300 to thousands, and then 15,000, and then 20,000. And then the Jerusalem church, they were known for a lot of things. They were known for their doctrine. They were known for their love of community, their generosity, their giving, their love for one another. They were known for their, 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 their missions. Uh, they believed, Acts 1-8, that, that we are his witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the outer ends of the earth. And so they practiced that. But then something happened. And that church plateaued. That church went into decline. In fact is, after Acts chapter 4, the second half of Acts, you never hear anything of the Jerusalem church other than the Jerusalem council when they asked them to speak into that because of the doctrinal issue. And so it pauses us to ask the question, why is this so? Why did this happen? Most theologians and Bible scholars and, and I agree that the reason this has happened is the Jerusalem church got to the place that they got comfortable. They got to the place and all of a sudden, instead of being an outward focus, it was an inward focus. Ministry for them used to be outside of their four walls and now it's inside of their four walls. They no longer blessed the community like they once did. They no longer served like they once did. In other words, they came to this place of great comfort. They got comfortable where they were. And life for them was all about their preferences, was all about their likes. And all of a sudden, they turned inward, and they no longer did the things they did at first. And I think this comes as a great reminder to Fellowship of the Rockies. And we would never come to the place that the gospel wasn't centered to our ministry that we didn't care about the community, we didn't care about others. And we understood that even though God has allowed us to do some really great things, that we have to continue with our passion for the community and our passion for him. It has to continue just white hot. Now listen, the title of this message is The Generous Church. And this is such a fun and easy message to preach this morning. You know why? Because we're a generous church. And you know why? Because you're generous people. And so this is just really an easy, fun message to, to preach and to teach as we walk through these scriptures. Because Fellowship of the Rockies in our community, we are known for being a generous church. One of the, one of the easiest reminders I have, and it, it just comes, and many of you were here then, but in December of last year, that our veterans ministry, so we have a veterans ministry that serves veterans in our community, and uh, they, they uncovered, they discovered that over in the east side of, of our town, there's a VA nursing home where veterans uh, are, are there. There's about 40 men in that home, and probably 100% of those men, they have no family. They have no relationships around them. Even though their medical needs are being taken care of, their, their daily necessities, some of their other needs aren't being, a taken, aren't being taken care of. In other words, when it comes to some essentials like, like T-shirts and underwear and socks and, 
and books to read or some other things. They just, they don't, they don't have family around them. Many of them have been forgotten by, by their family. And so our, our veterans uncovered this. They began praying about this and say, you know what? Maybe God would want us to reach that, meet that need. And so in December, I just simply stood before you and say, hey, listen, God has presented us with a need. I explained to you about the VA hospital I explained, or nursing home. I explained to you what we would like to be able to do, told you some of the stories in there. And so do you realize in a couple of weeks, you guys gave almost $10,000 to, to the VA, to the veterans over in that nursing home? And, and so what, you know what happened after that? We've adopted the nursing home. Uh, they are now, now, now then each week we are sending ministry partners in. We're building relationships with many of those men. We're meeting their needs. We're communicating with their families. Some of their families live in other states, other part of the country. And so we're communicating with them. And so those men know that, guess what? There is a church that loves them. There is a church that appreciates their service to our country. And so this, this is a part of being a church that is generous. So I'm telling you, this is so much fun to walk through these scriptures with you and help you understand that the Jerusalem church was a generous church, the same as, as we desire to be. So here's what the scripture says. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. It says this, Now the full number of those who believed were one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of these things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were given their testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. I mean, this church, that's just another way, this church was exploding. This church was reaching people. There was not a needy person among them. As many as were owners of lands or houses and sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. That's just biblical language for, for an offering. That's all that is. And it was distributed to each as any had need. In other words, it's just biblical language that, that giving was a part of their worship service. Giving was a part of, of worship for them. Generosity was a part of this issue of giving and worship. to the, They gave through the ministry of the church, and then the church distributed that money as anyone had need as they prayed about it, and they looked at these things. So this morning, with the time that I have with you, I just, want to give you, I just want to give you a couple of principles as we walk through this together, the generous church. The first one is this, is you, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You, you can give. It is possible in human relationships, right? It is possible to give without loving someone. I mean, whether it's to manipulate someone, whether it's to control someone, whether it's because you want a political favor or you want a favor for someone, you scratch their back, they scratch your back. But it is possible in life to, you know what, to give without, without loving someone. But it is impossible to truly love somebody without giving to them. Verse 32, here's what the scripture says. It says, in a full number of those who believed were one heart and soul. No one said that any of these things that belonged to him was his own. But they had, they had everything in common. So in, in, in other words, this, this generous church, the Jerusalem church, they understood the power of generosity. They understood the power of giving. They understood that, that giving was an act of worship. It, the fact is, Jesus is the one. And when you look at Jesus' teaching, you realize that Jesus, Jesus taught more about giving than any other thing. He talked more about giving than prayer. He talked more about giving than sin. He talked more about giving than faith. He talked more about because Jesus understood and Jesus identified that there is a connection between your heart and your money. And we know this, right? I mean, money is emotional. Even when a preacher brings up money in church, things get emotional, right? People get kind of nervous and people can get kind of tense. But this issue of money, you know this in your home, right? 
in, in marriage, in relationships, when you start talking about, when you bring up money in your home, a budget, how we're going to spend our money, how we're going to allocate our money, our hobbies, or, you know, all of those other things, that you know things can get emotional really quick. See, Jesus is the one that identified this issue, that your money is like a barometer of your life. Your money, in some, some respects, is like a reflection of you. It, it, it's your home, it's your entertainment, it's your clothes, it's your food, it's your, it's your vacation, it's your car, it's your hobbies, it's your, it's your priorities. It, it reflects who you are. And it, it is possible, listen, it is possible to give without loving. But it is not possible to love someone without giving. In other words, Paul talks about this generosity. Paul talks about what happens when you give. It does something to your heart. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is speaking into the, the church there in Corinth, and he's talking about this issue. Um, and, he, and he says, the point is this. <coughs> Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one, this is so important, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In other words, he wants us to, to have joy in our giving. He wants us to give out of the correct motivation. In other words, our generosity, our giving should come from a sin, sincere place. It should come from a place of, of joy because, man, God is not poor and he doesn't need your money. But he wants to do a work in your heart. He, he, he wants your heart. And something spiritually happens when we live a life of generosity. Have you, have you ever had someone do something for you and they, they did it with like, like gritted teeth? They did it that you knew they didn't want to. It's just like, oh, i got to do this. And so they kind of did it. That, that's the spirit of compulsion. Have you ever seen someone give, give you a gift and they gave you a gift out of guilt? And they're like, you know what? I knew if I didn't give you this gift, guilt, this gift that you would get angry, that you would get mad. Listen, let me tell you something. The scripture says that no one should give out of guilt. No one should give out of compulsion. We practice that here at Fellowship, Fellowship of the Rockies. When we talk about giving, we never use guilt. We never make you feel guilty because you have an income, because you can afford Starbucks, or because you can afford anything. We never use guilt. We never put a, like, we never put a thermometer up here with like the red needle moving up and down and making you feel guilty because we're under budget, right? We don't stack bricks. We don't show you pictures of starving children in Africa or wherever to make you feel guilty, to motivate you to give because the Word says, one, it doesn't work. Two, it's not of God. In other words, this, we just teach the biblical principles of giving and say, you know what? Ask God what you should give. Give that, and guess what? We'll just call it good because it's horrible motivation when someone is guilted into something or when someone gives out of, out of, out of compulsion. Um, we should never use guilt to get people to give because God wants his children to give out of a, out of a heart of just, of just generosity. I mean, in, in November... Uh, Karen and I will celebrate 36 years of marriage, and uh, yeah, we're excited about that. And so, uh, and some said we wouldn't make it. And so, uh, can you imagine on anniversary, I, I come home from work, and I got a gift, and it's stuffed in like a, a dirty brown paper bag, and she's sitting on the couch, and I throw it in her lap, and says, here, happy anniversary. I spent way too much money on this. It's more than you deserve, but I figured I'd have to give you this gift or you'd get mad, so here you are. Bless your heart. Would that be a good evening? Absolutely not. 
But if I, if I buy her a small gift and I wrap it and I even include a card <laughs> that I wrote a little note and I just simply said something like this, I love you so much. You deserve so much more than this. And when I'm able, I'll give you any more. Because you're worth more than I could ever give you. You understand the difference in that? You understand the difference in that motivation? See, this is what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about when we talk about this issue, we don't have to use guilt. We don't have to use compulsion. We don't have to make people feel bad. We just talk about these principles because, listen, it doesn't really matter. Listen, it doesn't really matter if you have loving feelings towards someone if you don't put those in action. Love isn't love until it's expressed. Love isn't love until it's expressed in, in relationships. And so Paul talks about this, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. He said, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work as it is written. He is distributed freely and he is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So all of a sudden we start walking through these scriptures and we realize that, that, it, that, that, that God is going to provide for you. That when we lift, live a life of generosity, when we live a life of giving, that he is, he is going to provide for us. In verse 11, and watch this, I'll explain, explain this verse, because this verse has been so misapplied. And I'll talk about this. So verse 11, 2 Corinthians 9. And you will be, so important, you will be enriched in every way. Why? To be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Now listen, I, I was really nervous, and I still am pointing this verse out to you, because this verse has been so misapplied by a bunch of prosperity gospel preachers, TV preachers, that will simply tell you that if you will sow a seed into their cause, if you will sow a seed into their ministry, then God is going to bless you. And if you sow $100, then you're going to get $1,000 back. If you sow $1,000, then you're going to get $10,000 back. Listen, let me tell you something. Even a non-church person would give with rewards like that, returns like that, right? And so this verse makes me nervous even, even to approach because I want you to understand what it means. This verse is talking about this issue. Listen, let me tell you something. He says he's going to... He's going to enrich you, so that phrase is important. He's going to enrich you in every way so that you can be generous in, in every way. So, so Paul is talking that our motivation for giving is out of love. It's not because he's going to bless us back. It's not because we're going to get something. Our motivation is, is out of love. And he says he's going to enrich you in every way. As Americans, whenever we see the word riches in Scripture, you know what we think about? We think about money. We think about material things. But see, the scripture, it goes much deeper than material things because you and I know, right, there are some things that money cannot buy. There are some things that money cannot provide for you in your life, right? And so all of a sudden when he says he will enrich you in every way, he's talking about something deeper than the issue of money. Listen, maybe, maybe God wants to make you rich in faith. Maybe God wants to make you rich in, in friends. Maybe God wants to make you rich in, in, in peace and in humility and in, in patience. Man, God has promised this and God has promised to supply and, and, and meet your needs. And listen, in, in life, not everybody can handle a financial blessing. This issue of enriched in every way 
is so much deeper. It's so much deeper than that. Material prosperity is not the same as spiritual prosperity. I mean, it's this issue of understanding what God wants to do in your life. And so what he's saying, he's going to enrich you in every way so that you can be generous in every way. What Paul is saying is simply that. God blesses you so you can bless others. God doesn't bless you so you can just indulge yourself and you make life all about you. and all. See, this is what killed the Jerusalem church. They came to the place that they felt God blesses us so we can bless ourselves instead of God blesses us so we're a conduit. And as he blesses us, we continue to bless others. And so a Christian who gives generously, then God's going to meet your needs. But we shouldn't respect like rewards like, like the next day. God is not a slot machine. The fact is, in Mark chapter 10, this rich young ruler, and for some reason I have trouble saying that phrase fast. I've messed it up every service. And so this rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and they begin having this conversation. This rich young ruler is asking about salvation, about going to heaven. Now listen, Jesus, Jesus told him, and we'll understand that. Jesus just simply told him, says, you're, you're going to have to sell everything you have. Follow me. Jesus was not sell, telling him that you've got to sell all of your possessions to, to earn heaven. Jesus wasn't telling him that you've got to earn heaven. Jesus wasn't telling him that Jesus, what Jesus was telling him is your, your possessions are an idol to you. It's interesting that Jesus is talking to this man about giving at the point of salvation. And this man realized where his principles were and his priorities were, and so he turned and walked away. Now, Simon Peter, he heard this whole thing go down, and so he's, he's wondering, so, so, hey, what about us? And so Mark, Mark chapter 10, verse 28, here's what Peter said. So Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. In other words, hello, just want to make sure you're keeping records, Lord. Well, look what we've left. Uh, I know you told the rich young ruler that you would bless him if he would follow you. Just want to make sure. And so Jesus said, truly I say to you that there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel and will not receive a hundredfold now and in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution and in the age to come eternal life. So he says there's blessing in this life and life to come. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. And so what he's talking about, Jesus is talking about long-term investment, right? He said, you know what? He says, whatever, whatever you do will be returned to you in this life or the life to come. In fact, as many of our blessings, most of our blessings, we won't see until heaven. And he was having this conversation with Jesus, or with Peter, and he was helping Peter understand that, that God, listen, God keeps records, but he's no man's debtor. And that if you, if you sacrifice for him, he promised you to pay back a hundredfold. And this, this, this verse, Mark chapter 10, verse 28 through 31, it's a real personal verse to me. You know, he said that if anyone who leaves mother or father or brother or sister and family on my sake, I will repay to them a hundredfold. This verse is one of the verses that helped me that gave me strength to move from, Pueblo, from Houston, Texas to Pueblo, Colorado, from the great state of Texas. <laughs> I've quit referring it to as the promised land because that's a little offensive to some of you. <laughs> and so we were, we were leaving. I mean, I'm leaving my mom and my dad and my brothers, my sister. Uh, we're moving the kids from all of their, you know, their grandparents and their aunts, their uncles. 
All of my relationships were, were in Texas. And so we're moving, and I, I come to this, this verse. And can I just tell you this as a testimony? 25 years or 24 years of doing ministry here in Pueblo, Colorado, I can tell you his word is true. I cannot imagine what my life would be like without knowing some of you. I had to travel a thousand miles. I had to give up everything. Some of my closest friends, my deepest relationships are in this room. He has enriched me in every way in relationships. In faith, in ministry, it's so, I'm telling you, it's so much deeper than just riches, just wealth, just material things. And see, there's this promise when you live a life of generosity that God has made to us. He has promised that there will be rewards. He has promised that there will be a deepening. He has promised that when you open up your heart and you live a life of gratitude, that he does, he does something in your heart. He does something in your life. 2 Corinthians 9.11 says, One more time and you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. And through us, you will provide thanksgiving to God. The second principle is this. Is, just, is generosity does several things in my life. Generosity does several things in my life. Now, the, the, these principles are right out of Scripture. We'll, we'll read the principle. We'll, we'll read the verse together so you understand it's that. But it's also part of my testimony. I have a testimony. I have a strong testimony of what it means to live a generous life and how God has enriched me in so many different areas in so many different ways. The first thing is this. is One of the things that God does in my life when you live a life of generosity is this. Generosity meets the needs of others. Generosity, when you look at this, generosity meets the needs of others. Verse 32, or I'm sorry, verse 34, there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as had need. Paul said to the church there in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 9:12, <coughs> for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also an overflowing and many thanksgiving to God. And so when, when, you, when you give through the ministry of Fellowship the Rockies, you are meeting needs not only in this church, but in our community and around the world. Uh, yesterday I was, I was watching the, the Masters because you know, I was preparing for this sermon. It's been a time with God. <coughs> and so I started wondering about, God, you know, the, the Acts is 30-year history of the church, and it's like the highlight reel of churches so what are, what are some of our highlight reels? What are some of our stuff? What is some of the stuff of, of our generosity? How has it blessed others? And I, and I don't have time this morning to go through them all. It's amazing. Uh, many of you know, and we have another single mom's oil change coming up. It's a ministry we started a while back, and so we'll change the oil for any single mom in our community, in our church for free. Um, and, uh, and we'll minister to this. We do this in conjunction with Mueller's, Mueller's Auto. And so we pick a Saturday, and we schedule all of the appointments for these single moms. They come. Uh, we also uh, f uh, you know, flip burgers and do hot dogs because we know single moms are going to bring their children because uh, they don't have a spouse that can take care of their children. they got a lot of ministry needs. And so we have ministry teams signed up. And so once the mom is there getting her oil change, we're not only ministering to their children, their stations where they color and do crafts and some other things, but we also feed them. 
And so, so I just ran the numbers. I got the numbers from, from Beth, and so I got the numbers. And so do you realize this ministry and our history of this ministry? We have changed the oil for over 1,200 single moms in our community. And the reason that we're, listen, the reason that we're able to do that is because of your generosity. Also, another statistic that's just hilarious to me, uh, we've served 40,000 40, hamburgers and hot dogs in that, meet, in, in, in that time as well. I mean, we have, we have, we have flipped a lot of burgers. And, and, and I won't ever tell you their names, but can I just tell you this? You worship in this place next to a single mom that her first contact with our church was a church was willing to change her oil for free. And they came and they got their oil changed. They got some, some needs met in their family. And as a result of that, they said, you know what? If a church is this generous, it's a church that we'd like to be a part of. As a result of that, they came to our church. That was not a requirement. Uh, that was not a requirement. We were just doing ministry. They met Christ here. They got baptized here. We have single moms in our children's ministry that lead. And the way that they came to this church was there was a church that loved them enough, that loved them first to minister to them and just to be generous to them. We identified a place in Africa. We wanted to go and work in a place of Africa where there was no other Christian work, that there's not a lot of missionaries working. So we identified a place in Mimbezi, uh, Africa. It's, a little, it's two hours outside of Zimbabwe. It is deep in the bush. Uh, not, a lot of ministry, not a lot of missionaries working in that area. A lot of orphans that have been displaced because mom and dad have died because of the AIDS epidemic. And so we knew that God wanted us to work there. We get into Mimbezi. We, seen, we, we, have sent, we send teams once a year and sometimes twice a year to Mimbezi. And so we identified some needs. And so the first one is we need to get some missionaries there. We need to resource them. We did that out of your generosity, out of your giving. Then we realized they don't have clean water there to drink. And we said, you know what? This is our place. We're going to change this place. And so you know what we did? Uh, we paid for out of your giving, out of your generosity, we put in a water well. As a result of that, the whole, listen, the whole community has clean water. Anybody can go to that water well and get water in that community. And then we realized that we had a need, so we need to build a church there. So you know what we did? Right next to the water well, we got some land. Uh, we built a church there. Uh, the church has been constructed. Now we got all these orphans coming, and we got all these people coming. And so now we got we to gotta feed them. And so then you know what we did? With your giving, we put in a garden next on some land next to it that, you know what, they worked the garden. We taught them how to raise vegetables. We taught them how to put them up because of your giving. It's amazing what happens. And, and then we realized they, need, they needed some protein, so we bought them chickens. And, uh, and, and now, now they have eggs, and now the kids, you know what they're doing now? They create a little bit of a business. The eggs that they don't eat, they're selling. They're selling, that money goes back into this, this deal. Listen, that, that community has been changed because of your generosity, because of, because of your giving. We've adopted school after school after school. I could, I could, go, I could go through a list uh, that would take us to, to, the, to, the, to the sun comes down to this afternoon about the generosity of this church. Uh, Haiti, one last one. Um, we did a mission trip into Haiti. In Port-au-Prince, we established an orphanage there. We built an orphanage there uh, through the, uh, Nate, Nate and Christy Grable, who were in our church. Uh, Nate Grable, Pioneer Homes, him and Christy, 
um, were in our church. Nate sang on worship team for a number of years. Nate goes over to Haiti, and God does something in his heart, in his life about missions, changes everything. And so you guys haven't seen Nate for a while. You know where Nate is? Nate is at med school. He's going to graduate about at the age of 55 with a medical degree. Christy is in med school with him, and she's studying now to be a nurse practitioner. You know what they're going to do when they graduate? They're going to establish medical communities, medical care in Haiti and Dominican, some place, some under-resourced areas of, of our world. What would happen if when we connect them, because they're going to be our first missionaries that we send out of our body. And so what would happen when we start connecting the medical people in our church and the medical people in our community, and we start sending them over to provide surgeries and medical procedures that cannot be done in Haiti, that they don't have the knowledge and the expertise. I mean, in all of this, listen, all of this has been done. All of this has been done out of your, your generosity. You may not know this. Every month we open up our doors. We host a, a Pueblo a police and sheriff's luncheon. We have a chaplain here. Uh, they eat lunch. They study scripture. They pray together. And so you guys need to pray, pray for our police officers. We have a police officer right now recovering in the hospital from injuries he sustained in, in, the, line, in the line of duty. This last week, we opened up our facility to the mayor and to Pedco and to, our, to the, uh, the to city council for a listening tour. And we, we serve, listen, we serve them well. And we are not, listen, this church, we are known for being a generous church. I mean, when you look at this issue, generosity, it, well, here's the second one. Generosity is a testimony of your faith. Generosity is a testimony of your faith. It's a testimony that you believe, listen, that you believe you, you can trust him, even with your income, even with your resources. Verse 33, he says, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. 2 Corinthians 9, 12, and 13 for the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also an overflowing and many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of, of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for others. Listen, this world is not impressed that we're a church. This world is not impressed that we're Fellowship the Rockies. Uh, anybody, anybody can talk a good game. Anybody can talk about faith. But you know what? our world is impressed by our giving our love into a community when we're willing as a church to go and to move to to minister to people and resource people and bless them when you give through this ministry it is a testimony of your faith and the only reason that we can be a generous church is because you're generous people the third and the last the third third thing is this is generosity is an expression it is an expression of thanks to god Generosity is an expression of a thanks to God. This is what, this is what Paul's talking about, that we give. We, don't, we give out of grateful hearts. We give out of joyful hearts. We don't give because we've been guilted into it. We don't give, give because we've been, uh, someone, someone has forced us to give. Can I just tell you this? I don't know what anybody gives at this church. I've, ever since I've been senior pastor here, I've, I've never known. And you know what? I will never know. That information is kept separate from me. Uh, and so I, I do not know what one individual, the amount that one individual gives into this ministry. But this issue of generosity, when you look at Scripture, generosity is an expression of thanks to God. Verse 33, the Scripture says, 
And with great power, the apostles were given their testimony, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And great grace was upon them all. Paul said a different way in, in 2 Corinthians 9, 15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. In other words, he's talking about God gave to us generously, so we give to him generously. God gave his very best to us, his one and only son. And as a result of that, it is an expression of our gratitude and our thanks for what he's done. Uh, he didn't wait till we deserved it. He didn't wait till we got our life right. In fact, his first John 4:19 tells us we love because he first loved us. And so when you look at this issue of giving, you look at this issue of gratitude. Man, I learned this early in ministry and just a principle. The only person that you and I can't help is a person that doesn't have gratitude. If one of your children, someone around you in church, if they're not grateful for what you're doing now, they're not going to be grateful for when you do more. The only person that we can't help, just learn this, so much community ministry, so much ministry conversations, so much being in the community. I've, been a, I've volunteered a bunch of hours as a Pueblo police chaplain for a number of years, and so I've been in some difficult circumstances and difficult situations. The only person you and I cannot help is a person that does not have gratitude. If they do, listen, if they do not appreciate what you're doing now, something happens in their heart, and their heart becomes hard. Their heart becomes hardened. See, I think this is why this is such a big issue to God. Because the only person that he, listen, he cannot grow their heart or he cannot expand their heart or he cannot grow their heart more and larger for him is that person that is just all about them. They really don't have gratitude. I, I just, just want to give you a few things and just a personal conviction of mine. It's just some principles. And at, at heart, I'm a worshiper. At heart, I'm, 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 I'm a giver. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Let, let me give you just a few, and then, then we'll close. This is just kind of my personal testimony. Is One of them is this. I've learned that I'm a better person when I give. I don't know about you, but God does something in my heart. I am a better person when I put love in action. I am a better person when I give. I am a better person when I give without any ulterior motives or anything like that. I'm just a better person when I give. Uh, we're, we're coming up on the season when like, like spring is here and summer's coming and kids are going to be out of school. And so I, I don't know if you've experienced this, but you know how when you drive through the, a neighborhood into your neighborhood and a different neighborhood, then all of a sudden you've got these kids, you know, in the front yard and they're starting their little business and they, they got a Kool-Aid stand going on, right? And so they're like yelling and screaming at the top of their lungs, stop, 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 you know, that whole deal. And so I, I'm one of the ones that stop. And so I always pull over and I walk up to them and I always have this thought, uh, you've just drank most of your profits. I mean, right? I mean, their, their lips are like stained red. They've been, they've been chugging Kool-Aid out of a pitcher. I'm like, you're drinking all your profits, kids. And so, but they don't care. And so, uh, so I, I tell them I want a glass of Kool-Aid and they tell me how much. Now, listen, just between you and I, I will never drink their Kool-Aid. I, I mean, I know they've been drinking out of the pitcher. I can tell. They put their grubby little hands in the ice, and it has mud, and it has bugs, and it has dirt in it. And, you know, they are just so happy. I'm like, this is unsanitary. And so they pour that, they pour that Kool-Aid, and, you know, they are so excited. And then they tell me, you know, 50 cents, 75 cents, however much it is. And so I always do the same thing. I just simply give them $5. And so I give them $5, and their eyes get this big at first because they say, oh, no, how do we make change? We don't know. 
And then I'm like, no, no, no. You can keep it. It's yours. And they're like, what? I go, I mean, that's like more money than they've seen in their life at that point. I'm like, yeah, it's yours. And so as I walk back to my truck, I can catch them out of the corner of my eye, and I can hear them. They're waving that money over their head, and they're screaming, Mom, Dad, you're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe this. <laughs> Years back, I did that with, with one group of kids. I had some people come up to me in church in the foyer and said, Pastor Charlie, you're not going to believe this. Our kids are trying to convince us that you gave them $5 for a glass of Kool-Aid. I go, who knows? I don't even know. And <laughs> I just let them guess. And so, uh, so I, listen, I am, listen, I am a better person. I am a better person when I give. I, God, I don't understand, but he enriches me in every way. There is something that happens when I understand that money does not have a hold on me. Money is not a master over me. That it is something that God, there's another reason I give. I have committed my life to the one who has asked me to give. I am a Jesus follower. And I have committed my life to the one that has just simply asked me to give. Simply asked me to give, to live a life of generosity. And then out of that, he's promised to do something in my heart. He's promised to enrich me in every way. Another reason that I give, I love our church. I know I'm biased. I get it. I understand it. But when I hear those stories of ministering to single moms, when I hear those stories of a veteran's hospital or nursing home, and all of a sudden we're ministering to people, when I hear the stories about Africa, when I hear the sport stories about Haiti, when people come to this church and they say, we're, we're here because you first loved us, we're here because you changed our oil, we're here because you ministered to us without any strings attached, and then I see transformation and I see life change, I don't know about you, but when I understand that through my giving, I'm a part of that. Through my giving, I'm a part of what happens in Africa. I'm a part of what happens on the east side. I'm a part of what happens in Haiti. I'm a part of what is happening here. And the last thing is this. I give because God has given me his very best. And because of that, I will live a life of gratitude. Now, listen, I don't know what your life was like before you met Christ. I know what my life was like, and I know where I'd be without him. It's very clear to me. My life was a disaster. I didn't even know when I met Christ, I didn't know if I'd make it through the week. And he radically changed my life. And he has enriched me. He has enriched me in every way. With joy, with peace. And with love and with relationships and friends. He has promised to provide for me and take care of me. And I don't have to do it out of guilt or compulsion. I do it out of an attitude of love. That was the Jerusalem church. And I pray that's the Fellowship of the Rockies in Pueblo, Colorado. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?